Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. And uh, if, if you did sit down, if you don't mind standing for the reading of the Word, I'll, I'll read just two verses, and then I'll say a short prayer, and we'll let you have a seat for about the next two hours. How does that sound? No, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to stand up before two hours are gone. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I'm going to read that verse again, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. In other words, he declares the end from the beginning and God declares from ancient times the things that have yet to come to pass. Okay, everybody got that. And then he adds this little tidbit. He says, my counsel shall stand and I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what do all my pleasure means. Um, I'm not going to continue the series from the last two Wednesday nights, uh, but I guess you could say this lesson tonight is an offshoot from last time when we touched on this subject tonight. We're going to be covering, and uh, it really is a fascinating, fascinating uh, principle to me that God and only God can tell the future. So I felt led to talk about it some more tonight. We did it a little bit last Wednesday night. We're going to do some more tonight. I'm going to talk about the end from the beginning. The end from the beginning. We have one prayer request that's turned in. It's uh, Sister Tolly's granddaughter, Amanda, and she has pneumonia. Let's remember her. Let's also remember Sister Tolly and uh, what's going on in her life. Sister Carol Rice and Sister Maria Diaz are sick tonight. How many of you know somebody who's sick or somebody that needs God's touch from, from heaven for something? Would you lift your hand, look around, find somebody's hand that's uplifted? Let's take these needs to the Lord as we pray for His Word this evening. God, we know that you know all things. We talked about it last week. We're going to go over it again tonight some more that you, you already knew what would happen before the need arose. And God, what's great about that is you not only know what the need is, you not only knew it was coming before we did or anybody else, but you know how to fix it. You know how to meet the need. Do it in Amanda's life. Do it in Sister Carol and Sister Maria's life, Sister Barb Karsh, Sister Tolly's life, everyone who had their hand raised. Perhaps the needs that were not represented by the hands, but needs nonetheless that you know about in our sphere of influence. Let the Holy Ghost go right now. Minister healing, power, and virtue. God, where the impossible situation exists, show that you're God. Show that you knew the end from the beginning and that you know what to do. That you might receive all the glory and all the honor. Anoint my lips, my mind to speak the words you would have me to. And let the seed fall where you want it to and bear the fruit you want it to in the lives that you want it to. We pray. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you as you're seated. Let me remind you, Sunday school at 1 o'clock this Sunday, and 
pre-service prayer at 145 and then our worship service at 2 o'clock. Bring somebody with you Sunday. You know, uh, if any one of us, or any human being for that matter, truly were able to tell the future, uh, they would undoubtedly very quickly become a rich person. In fact, there are people, thousands I suppose, I don't really know the number, haven't done any research on it, but there's a whole lot of individuals that do make their living uh, pretending to tell the future to people who are, let me use a nice word, gullible enough, I won't use words of choice that I would have rather used because I'm in a pulpit, but there are people who are gullible enough, uh, gullible enough to fall for that and give good money to people uh, who purport to do that, to tell them what's going to happen in the future in their lives. I'm here to tell you tonight, God's the only one that can tell the future. Now, uh, I, I believe that the devil, in a sense, he, he doesn't really, uh, he's not able to tell the future uh, in the sense that I just used as an introduction to this lesson, but the devil does know some things about the future, and uh, he's able to impart that to his followers, and I'll talk about that a little later in this lesson, but I'm reminded of my school days uh, in English class in uh, literature, not one of my favorite courses in school in, at any grade. I love to read. I've always loved to read. I, I in fact, uh, I'll be transparent again tonight. I think I did that a couple of Wednesday nights ago about uh, a certain incident that took place during my second grade in school. Uh, if you weren't here, too bad. Don't go look it up. If you weren't here, you don't deserve to hear it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to repeat it tonight. But uh, there were several times in my junior high especially um, Maybe started with middle school, sixth grade, seventh, eighth grade. Maybe even up into some of my high school years, I was caught by the teacher several times. Uh, instead of listening to the teacher lecture or teach or whatever they were doing, the rest of the class was doing, I would be hunkered down at my desk which uh, hopefully was scrunched right up next to the desk in front of mine. I love those kind of classroom setups where the, the desks were in a row and they were all bunched up together because I would hunker down and I would be reading my favorite current science fiction novel instead of listening to the teacher. Got in trouble several times. I made good grades and because of that, uh, my teachers liked me, and so they usually didn't get on to me that much, especially if I was keeping my grade up. But uh, you can imagine being a teacher and a student's back in the back of the room reading. I remember reading uh, different uh, pieces or works of literature and the teacher introducing and teaching about a literary device called foreshadowing. 
And that's where the author inserts subtle clues at various places in the story that give some kind of insight to the ending of the story. And these subtle clues, because they are subtle, they're not yelling out at you. The writer made sure that they were subtle. Because of that, uh, most readers often overlook them the first time you read it through. That's why the teacher loves, in English, loves to have you read things over again so that you'll pick up stuff you didn't pick up the first time. That's especially true in literature. And uh, as you read it over again, you will find these little hints, little hidden surprises that are just casually tucked away into the story uh, that can be discovered by uh, the observant and careful reader. But I, I remember those days, I remember that particular uh, literary device, and it reminds me that the author, and only the author, had the ability to do that. First of all, the author was the only one writing the story, but he or she is the only one that knows the end of the story uh, unless you've read it. And uh, so he or she, the author, knows who did it before it's ever done. I don't think it's done this way all the time, but most authors, most writers, so I have been taught uh, in order to write a good novel or work of literature or whatever it is they're writing, especially if it's fiction, whether it's a, a novel or a TV show or a movie or whatever, that they, in order to, to come up with a good one, need to know the ending when they start with the beginning. They need to already decide how it's going to end up. Well, God is like that. As the author of our story, of our lives, as the author of the entire universe, the creator of this universe, uh, as this scripture that I read in Isaiah tells us, God knows and even speaks many times the end at the beginning. And, and I, I don't know about you, but that fascinates me about God. Maybe it's something you've grown up with or come to know, and it's just kind of, you know, old hat in the back of your mind now. But uh, I, I like it, I guess, especially because it applies to me and my life. I believe it was the writer of Hebrews said that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He alone is the author of all that is. He conceived everything that is before it was. So, just like that author writing a great book, uh, he saw creation from its beginning all the way to its ending before he ever spoke the first word out of his mouth, let there be, and it was. That's why Peter, under the divine anointing, referred to the Lamb of God in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 20. It says, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you before the foundation of the world was laid, before God ever started creation's work. 
His plan was already in his mind, and he already knew everything he was going to do right down to the last detail in order to put together the salvation that we needed to be saved from sin. Before he ever put Adam and Eve in the garden, he knew that they were going to sin. He knew it was going to mess things up. And so before he even created the earth for them to walk on, before he ever made a garden called Eden to put them in, he knew what they were going to do, and he had already formulated in his mind thousands of years into the future what he was going to do, that he himself was going to come to earth in the form of one of us as a human being so that he could provide the propitiation, the covering of our sins himself as the one spotless lamb so that we could be reconciled back to him. I don't know what that does for you, but that amazes me. It amazes me that before God ever hung the first star in space and started spinning around that star, that sun, the planets, before he did the first one, and scientists tell, there, tell us there are millions upon millions, even billions of solar systems in the universe. Before God did the first one, Job said he did that. He was already aware of everything that was and will happen in this universe that he created. The Bible tells us in Acts 15 and 18 an interesting thought. It says he knows all his works from the beginning of the world. He doesn't just know the beginning. He doesn't just know the ending. He knows everything that he's going to do in between. And because of God's foreknowledge, God alone, only God, possesses the ability to foretell the events of the future. Only God. Which brings us to uh, a very interesting and significant word. I talked about it a week ago, but I'm going to uh, discuss this some more tonight. It's a word that invokes fear in some people, excitement in other people. Uh, it's the one subject that if we wanted to, we could fill this house at least for one or two services or perhaps a week or more depending on the speaker. But all we'd have to advertise is there will be special teaching, preaching on end-time prophecy, and we could fill the house. There's just something about it, people. I believe it is an innate, uh, inborn, uh, perhaps it's, it's even rooted in our flesh nature, a desire to know the future. And, and all of us, uh, I believe even people who are not Christians and Christians of all types, even outside the apostolic ranks, a lot of them believe that God knows the future, and uh, they want to know it. So this word prophecy uh, throughout the Bible, I, I explained it last time. I'm not going to explain the two different types of it. We're just going to talk about prophecy tonight in light of God being able to foretell what's going to happen in the future. It, and, and make no mistake, prophecy is not a prediction. Okay, weathermen predict the weather. They may be right, they may not. God isn't guessing. 
God doesn't forecast. He just declares. And believe you me, honey, what God says and how it's going to turn out, that's exactly how it's going to turn out. He speaks things that are not as though they were. Uh, we talked about he, he knew about Adam in the beginning of the world and sin. And uh, God came up with that plan at the very beginning. And in, in all of that that happened there with Adam's sin, Adam and Eve sinning and disobeying God in the garden and there uh, being cursed, the woman was cursed uh, in childbearing, the man was cursed by the sweat of your brow. God said, you're going to have to earn your bread uh, from now on. That's why we have to work, gentlemen, uh, to uh, make a living for our families. And he told Satan something very interesting in this curse that he put on. First of all, he cursed the serpent, the uh, animal that the devil had embodied and possessed to do the physical communicating with Eve. Uh, but he also, uh, besides making the serpent as an animal have to crawl on its belly, ever since then, God also told the devil, he said, put up Genesis 3 and 15, uh, he said, I will put enmity between these, talking to Satan and the woman. Enmity, that means same root word we get the, uh, our word enemy from. In other words, you're going to be enemies. You and the seed of the woman, that's man, all the human race, and between your seed and her seed. Her seed will bruise your head, and you are going to bruise uh, his heel. This is the first verse containing prophecy in the Bible. And it is also, not only that, it is the first messianic uh, prophecy or prophecy that had to do with his coming to earth as a human being. In other words, it's the first prophecy about Jesus that's in the Bible, Genesis 3 and 15. And of course, the meaning of the, the verse is, the Lord was telling Satan, uh, you're going to bruise his heel. That was talking about how Satan would, uh, through men, orchestrate the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we know that death was just temporary, that Jesus would rise from the dead forevermore alive in a glorious resurrection, and that he is going to bruise the head of Satan, which denotes complete and total victory. Uh, you can have your heel wounded and still survive, but if you have your head bashed in, uh, you're not going nowhere. So that's what that meant. And the Lord does this many times over in the Bible because, again, he alone knows the end from the beginning. Did you know somebody counted it up? It wasn't me, but I read this somewhere, and if they're not correct, I'm sure it's close. Over six thousand times in the Bible, God does this. He predicts, or not predicts, but he foretells the future. He reveals something that's going to happen before it occurs. So, in, in, a, in a premeditated way, God establishes that he alone knows the end from the beginning. And I firmly believe myself that we are in a state of preparation 
even now in 2023 as God is continuing to set the stage for the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's that, Pastor? Well, besides being the title of the last book of the Bible, as you read the book of Revelation, you see that it contains much prophecy where God is foretelling what is going to happen in the end time. What's the end time? It's the time of the end. It's the generation, the time period at the end of which when Jesus is coming back the second time and he will be revealed to this world. Hence, the revelation of Jesus Christ. A part of that is the rapture of the church. There's a uh, uh, controversy and debate over the timing of the rapture versus the second coming of the Lord, and uh, I'm not going to get into that tonight. Uh, you know what I have preached for almost 30 years, if you've been around. But in the coming months and years, let's get back to tonight, I believe that we are going to continue uh, to realize that the prophecies of God relating to the end time are going to get more and more critical to us. I believe we're going to start seeing more and more things come to pass that were foretold by John and by Daniel and by Zechariah and by writers in both the Old and the New Testament as the end time events continue to unfold. We're living in it right now. We're living on the brink of World War III. In fact, there are some people who aren't even Christian but who are uh, observers of society and the world global picture who say we're already in the beginning of World War III tonight with the Ukraine war and Russia's advance there and all of that. I don't know if that's true or not, but we've got to be close. So this evening, I, I want to address a more general question uh, concerning the prophetic utterances that are in the Bible about the end time and the days that we're living in. And uh, I'm not going to deal with specific prophecies as I have many times in the past and uh, will do in the future, but I want to deal with prophecy as a whole tonight. Let me remind you, God never does anything by accident. Nothing that ever happens takes God by surprise. He knows it's going to happen. Even if it's me doing something I'm not supposed to do, or you veering off the path that he has for your life. Uh, if it's something detrimental or negative that pops up in our lives, he knew about it before it ever happened. And every move that God makes, mark my word, it is very intended, it is very calculated for a specific purpose. So a, a question that naturally comes from that is, why then does God occasionally pull back the veil and reveal what happens next? Now, in the rest of this lesson, I'm not going to exhaustively answer that question, but I, I just want to discuss with you before we leave here tonight three reasons why God does this. Three reasons why he declares the end from the beginning. Three reasons that God put prophecy in the Bible and foretold something before it happened over 6,000 times. First of all, reason number one, God does so to, uh, let me just say this and then I'll qualify it. I believe God does it to show off. How many believe that God has the right to show off? 
If anybody has the right to do that, God does. To manifest himself, to show human beings like you and I that he's God. By, by revealing something that only he knows, uh, really, if you think about it, is helping God to establish his credentials, as it were, to prove that he's God even with people who may not be Christians or followers of God. The prophet Isaiah said this, and he was speaking as the mouthpiece of God, uh, challenging the idol gods of his day. Isaiah 41 and 21. We're going to read quite a few verses here. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. Verse 23, show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you're God's. Yes, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Later he declares, four chapters later in Isaiah 45, verse 21, tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior? There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Verse 23, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear or take an oath. By his prophetic word, that is telling the end from the beginning, telling man something that hasn't yet happened, but it's going to. By that act, God declares himself to people of all generations in all ages. By the word of his prophecy, he exposes the, the frailty of the false gods that his people used to, to worship in the Old Testament and that people might be tempted to worship in modern times. He establishes the fact that he indeed and he alone is the author of all that is. And by doing that, ladies and gentlemen, he announces to all of humanity that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So the first reason that God reveals the future, I believe, is to reveal himself to all of humanity. I said it a while ago, over 6,000 times he declared the end from the beginning or spoke something was going to happen before it happened. And guess what? He has not one time ever been wrong yet. Praise God. So he removes any and all doubt. God does that he is indeed who and what he says he is. Isn't that great to know tonight? Amen. Isn't that wonderful to know that we can trust and depend on God? His word is always sure. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that knowledge and that understanding tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Secondly, the second reason that God reveals his plans for the future is 
for the express purpose of helping and preserving his people. And I like that because that includes us. Amen. And this, this aspect of God knowing the future really is an outgrowth of his love for his people. It's a byproduct of the goodness of God and his mercy and his grace. God declares events to his people before they occur so that they will be prepared when these events occur. That's why he began explaining to his disciples, and he continued with John on the Isle of Patmos as he gave John the things to write in the book of Revelation so that we would not uh, uh, let that generation come to us of his return unawares, but that we would, as we do, now know that we are living in close proximity to his soon coming. Uh, and we see this all through the Bible. For example, let me just give you one example. God revealed to Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph. God revealed to Joseph uh, through a dream, uh, several dreams that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt had. God revealed to Joseph the weather patterns in the earth, in that part of the world, for the next 14 years. Now think about that. I won't go into the dreams and all of that. Read them in Genesis long about 47, 48, 49, 50. And uh, it's a fascinating story. God told Joseph there's going to be seven years of plenty when the crops are going to be plentiful, followed by seven years of famine when nothing would grow. And um, he did that for one reason to preserve the Israelites, to preserve the family and the descendants of Abraham, which he had made a covenant with. And he wasn't about to let his word go unfulfilled, so he had to keep them alive through those seven years of famine. So he let Joseph be carried away as a prisoner down to Egypt and suffer through, some Bible scholars think, 12 to 16 years before what God had told Joseph was going to happen in his life actually came to pass, and he was put in a place of prominence and power, second only to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and then as such, he was able to bring all of his family from Judea down to Egypt and there escape the famine and preserve God's people thereby. Now, there's a very interesting point before I move on I want to show you about this because it applies to you and me. The question could arise, well, God's God. He can do what he wants to do. It is very significant to me that God chose to do it this way, to preserve his people this way by uh, providing for the seven years of famine, providing for his people. You and I would have done it differently. You know what you and I would have done? I guarantee you I would have and you would have too if we were God. And I asked the question, God, why didn't you do it my way instead of your way? And I still don't know the answer. But if you or I would have done it, we would have simply caused the seven years of famine never to happen. 
Don't tell me you wouldn't have done that because you would have. Because our flesh likes to take the easiest route. Our flesh nature likes the route that has the least amount of pain to us and our families, the least amount of negative circumstances happening to us. And if you didn't say amen, you still need to because that's the truth. I don't know why God didn't choose to do it my way. But he chose to let the seven years of famine come. But he made provision. God will always make a way. He knows what's ahead in your life and in mine, even the bad stuff. And if we will do it his way, if we will live that life that he knows is coming the way he wants us to, and if we will trust in him, he will always provide for us. Uh, God declares throughout the Bible events that will happen before they happen so that you and I can be aware of and be prepared for events that haven't yet come. And, and this is an aspect of prophecy that I believe even hell understands. Uh, I, I believe, well, I know, I don't just believe it, I know the devil studies this book way more than any of us. You better believe he studies it. He has studied it ever since it was written. Why? Because he wants to know what God's going to do in the future so that he can try to mess it up. And uh, I believe that the devil probably studied for ages of time the promise of God in the garden that we read, Genesis 3 and 15. Uh, but he didn't get it. And he didn't get it because Paul tells us he didn't in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before uh, the world for our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. That's talking about both the princes in power in humanity uh, that orchestrated the death of Jesus and the princes of the power of the air in the realm of darkness in the atmosphere that were motivating those human men to put Jesus to the cross. Satan thought when he crucified Jesus that he had won. And I don't think he really knew the full meaning of those words that God spoke to him in the Garden of Eden that day. Uh, I believe he studies the Word of God diligently. And, and so after the fact... Though he didn't know what this meant, the Lord hid it from him. In fact, Paul tells us here that it was a mystery for our benefit so that we could be saved by Jesus' death on the cross, just like God saved his people from the famine. God saved us. He foretold what was going to happen, his coming to earth, and he did that throughout the Old Testament scriptures, but the devil still didn't get it. I believe that the devil still studies the Word of God though trying to gain an insight into what's going to happen in the future. He knows that in this book there are keys revealed there to the future of the world and to mankind. And uh, I believe that he studies the Word of God diligently. And I believe this in part because of what's found in Revelation 12 and 12. It says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He, the devil, knows 
How does he know? He doesn't have any foreknowledge. He's not the author. He knows the same way that you and I know because the Scripture tells us enough about what's going to happen in the end time to clue us into the fact that he indeed only has but a short time. And even hell, I believe, sets its priorities and lays out, uh, lays out its course of action based upon the prophecies of God. What God has foretold is going to happen in the earth. But those prophecies were not spoken for hell's benefit. They were spoken for the church. It's we who should labor all the harder, I believe, as we see the day approaching. Jesus said, work while it is yet day, for the night cometh when no man shall work. Listen, folks, we ought to be teaching Bible studies more than we ever have. We ought to be inviting people to come to church more than we ever have. We ought to be witnessing, testifying the goodness of God, doing everything we can to reach the lost, to work in the vineyard and what God has called us to do more than ever before because the time is quickly approaching when we're not going to have time anymore. And the devil knows it better than some of us Christians. We ought to be consumed with that knowledge that we have but a short time. And I believe this is one of the reasons that God reveals what's going to happen in the future so that the urgency of the hour can grip our heart and motivate us to do the work of God with, with passion and with zeal. We are the church. This is our time. This is our hour. As we recognize the approaching of the Lord and his coming, we got to keep that at the top of our minds that we have but a short time to reach our loved ones, to reach our city, to reach this county, to reach southern Illinois, wherever God has ordained we're to go and to reach the lost. Finally, number three, the last one, reason God reveals his foreknowledge. He shows you the future, and I like this one. He shows us the future at times to confirm, to affirm to you that he has a purpose for your life. Psalm 37 23, put it up, brother. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, God, delights in his way. Your life is not an accident. The same God who knows what tomorrow holds for every one of us is the same God that has his eye on every one of us at all times, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The psalmist said it like this, Psalm 139, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou understandest my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. Down in verse 13 of the same chapter, for you formed my inward parts. 
You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book they were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. The Lord said, said through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Aren't you grateful for that? Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God knows you're in from the beginning tonight. All of the days ordained for you, for your life that God ordained were written before you were ever conceived in your mother's womb. God called you before you were ever conceived. He is aware of every aspect, of every detail in your life, past, present, and certainly what is coming in the future for your life. From the beginning all the way to the end, God knows all about it. And before it ever began, God established his purpose for you on this earth, this life that you are living. Before you ever started, he fashioned a plan for your life in the most intricate detail. That's why we can, we can take comfort in scriptures like Matthew, where Jesus said, for your Father knows what things you have need of even before you ask Him. He doesn't already just know, but He has already prepared those times of refreshing to come from the presence of the Lord because He knows when you're going to need them. And He's already prepared those places of refuge for you to run to in the midst of your storm. He's already prepared the moments of strengthening and encouraging that he knew you were going to need before you ever needed them. Praise God. I thank God for sensitive church people who love God, who seek to be a vessel for him. Even the preacher at times can you know, be having an off-color day. You know, I'm not up on the mountain every day. And the Lord used somebody to send me some encouragement today that was just the right time. They know who they are. And I thank God for that. And God will do that and has done that and will continue to do that for every one of you. Praise God. Acts 1, verse 7, And he said unto them, It's not for you, to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Praise God. God has a purpose for your life and for mine. My friend, you may not know the time or the season, but God does, and he gives you all the power you need to make it through those times of uncertainty. He's already got the answer ready. He's already prepared the next step for you, and you've already received the power. He's already provided it for you to take every step of the way to get to where he reveals to you the answer. He said, I will never leave you 
or forsake you, but I will go with you all the way to the end of your world. Hallelujah. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, my friend. And he's already orchestrated events and circumstances that haven't yet happened. But he's got them ready to unfold and take place in your life at just the right time. According to his plan. You know, I, I don't know what tomorrow holds. My flesh would love to. I don't know what it holds for me, for my family, for this church, but I know that God's got it all in his noggin. That's probably not a good way to say it. In his understanding, in his knowledge, God knows exactly what's going to happen. And the same God that can tell us when he wants to, most of the time he doesn't, but the God that could tell us if he wanted to what tomorrow holds has already prepared every one of your tomorrows for you. Isn't that, isn't that great to know? Isn't that something to be thankful for? Praise God. What this world needs, I'm going to remind you again, as this, this society and the world's population races headlong towards the rapture and the second coming of the Lord. What this world needs is a church that has an understanding of the times, a people who are aware of how God operates and what is going to happen that God's already ordained and shown us in his words. You need to be teaching somebody. Every one of you ought to be teaching somebody. If you can't teach, then hosting one in your home somehow or your workplace, a Bible study that will pique the interest of people. You can tell them, I know what's going to happen in the next 100 years, in the next 50 years, in the next 20 years. And they say, how do you know? Because God's already said it. Really? Tell me about it. And you can take them through exploring God's Word and all the lessons on end-time prophecy and thereby get somebody to think about their own salvation and their need to give their life to God. Praise God. And as these future events of the world that the Bible talks about continue to unfold, we're going to see more and more events of end-time prophecy. I believe that. You believe that, Pastor? I believe that with all of my heart. It's going to unfold before our very eyes. And as that happens, we need to take confidence in the fact that the God we serve did it on purpose because this is how he establishes his, uh, his uh, credence and his uh, reputation to the world and we can point to this scripture and declare the truth that God is who he says he is praise God let's stand together tonight we can take confidence from the fact that the God that foretold tomorrow's evening news events over 2,000 years before it came to pass is the same God who's in charge of your life and mine. Why don't you close your eyes right now and lift your hand to him and thank him for that. Praise God that he's in charge of your life. And if he's not, he ought to be. If he's not, tonight would be a great time for you to let him be. He will be. And if he is, 
then you'll have no need to worry or fret over what tomorrow holds. You only need to know who, not what. All you need to know is who holds tomorrow, not what tomorrow holds. And to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh God, I pray tonight that every soul under the sound of my voice would say every day when they awaken in the morning and live their entire day on this theme, not my will, but thine be done, oh God. And what that means, God, is I'm willing to place my feet exactly where your plan for my life already ordained for me to go this day before I was ever born. I'm willing, God, if you'll help me to do it, to say exactly and only what you want me to say throughout this day, because you already ordained what that is, Lord, before I was even born. And Lord, every event that's going to unfold in my life today, you already knew all about it, and you had the answer for me and the correct response that I'm to give to all of that according to your will and your plan that you ordained before I was ever given life in the first place. Help us, God, to conform to your will. Help us to forsake our will when our way is different from your way. For truly you are the only one who knows the end from the beginning, and you know what's best for our lives. I love you, Jesus. I praise you for it. I thank you for it. Almighty God, let us go from here with your presence surrounding us and us reveling and rejoicing in the fact that you know it all and you've got all concern and your love for us is going to determine that only what's best for us is what you're going to allow to happen in our lives. We praise you for it, and we thank you for it tonight. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. For truly he is worthy. He alone who knows the end from the beginning is worthy of all our praise. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, God bless you tonight. Let's go rejoicing. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you and have a blessed day.